Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Uh, that makes us Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. Good grief. Yes, good grief. I looked that up. What did you come up with? Well, it just struck me, at, you know, because Charlie Brown says it, you know, mm-hmm. that's where I know it from. Mm-hmm. Then I thought, well, where did that come from? Because I often wonder those things. And it's just apparently, they think it's just what's called a minced oath, like when you substitute God for good gravy or good googlies or... I gotcha. Great that, googly moogly. Googly moogly. But then I thought grief was weird because that's such a specific thing. But then good gracious, gracious is very specific too. Yeah. And like ill-fitting. So I guess... It's just a minced oath. Good grief. Well, maybe good gracious came from good grace. And somebody was like just feeling a little buzzed on schnapps. <laughs> and they added <laughs> gracious instead. Maybe so. Minced oats. Good gravy. That's good. That's probably the funniest thing that will happen in this show. Probably. <laughs> that wasn't even that funny. Yeah. It, but this one's not supposed to be funny. It's about grief, you know? Yeah. And um, I think we should point out from the get-go, that this is about grief, yes. human grief, Western human grief. Yeah. But that's not to say that there aren't different types of grief and that humans are the only ones who do grieve. In fact, I have a story for you. Yeah, I got a little animal action, too, so. <laughs> oh, you do. <laughs> that, that was the funniest thing in this episode. <laughs> uh, I, I, this story took place back in uh, the spring of 1999 in um, Uttar Pradesh, uh, state India, uh-huh. specifically in the town of Lucknow, and even more specifically at the Prince of Wales Zoo. Okay, there was a seventy-two-year-old elephant, female elephant named Domini, uh-huh. and Domini was hanging out in her little house at the Prince of Wales Zoo when all of a sudden she got a younger, pregnant friend delivered to her uh-huh. um, named Chumpakali, and Chumpakali was, as I said, pregnant. She was actually on maternity leave from her regular gig where she would just let tourists ride on her back. Okay. Right? Um, And so she was was taken to the Prince of Wales Zoo to to basically just have a nice, comfortable term and then give birth. And Domini just fell in love with uh, Champakali. This is so sad already. (laughs) So um, she basically became a a maternal figure to Champakali. They were best friends. Um, Champakali would lay around and... um, Domini would stroke her pregnant belly with her trunk. Ugh. They just got really, really tight, which is very normal in, in um, the elephant world. Yeah. Um, so you can almost imagine that Domini was uh, growing excited as Champakali got closer and closer to her due date. And when finally she did um, go into labor, uh, Champakali died during childbirth and gave birth to a stillborn calf. And Domini, I guess they let her come in and like, you know, hang around the body because yeah. elephants are known to grieve. Yeah. Well, even as far as elephants go, Domini's story is a little, it's pretty bad. She, um, she cried over the body for a while and then went over to her enclosure and just stood still for a week. Right. You're killing me. After the week, um, she, at, at, during this week, she, she stopped eating. Um, she got to the point where her legs swelled from basically starvation and dehydration wow. until she fell over. And then she just laid there for what turned out to be the rest of her life, where she wept and refused to eat and refused to drink and grieved over the death of her friend and uh, finally died herself a few days later. 
uh, and the, the vets tried to keep her alive. They, um, they did what they could, but they said in the end, um, in the face of Domini's intense grief, all her treatment failed. Jeez. No, they're buried next to one another. I had a dog situation like that similar when I was a kid. Yeah. One of my dogs died and they were best buds and the other one just like was never the same and died about three months later. Yeah. And seemed healthy at the time. And I went out and laid down in the doghouse and cried. Nice. When I was like seven. Nice. (laughs) Devastating. That's a wonderful thing to do. That's working out your grief, you know? Yeah. But as far as the animals go, it really is pretty evenly divided among scientists who say, Yes, they show all the signs of grieving, and that's what they're doing. And then others that say, no, they are not grieving. We are putting that on them as humans. Yeah, that's. Um, ab- I totally disagree with that. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's really two camps. Um, some we've, say it's We've talked mistaken. about this before. Yeah. We've run up against this before, and I don't think either one of us have changed our positions at all. I think they grieve, but then you hear, like, this one great ape, you know, was famous recently for carrying her little dead... Uh, baby around yeah. for like three days right. and other scientists came out and said like you know this is a long gestation period they have singletons having a kid is a big deal and so she's carrying this baby around in hopes that it will come back to life and it's like in a comatose state and you know it's a practical adaptive right. evolutionary thing that's happening it's not grief and then I think you're heartless right yeah <laughs> they're grieving because adult then, chimpanzees then they, they don't took, grieve. They took the baby chimp and made a purse out of it. That's what right. those scientists <laughs> did after that. Well, but then for animals, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but you have to think like when some clearly show signs of what looks like grief and some don't at all, like the chimpanzee in the same you know, arena, mm-hmm. like they eat other chimpanzees while they're still alive and screaming. Well, those are the ones that back talk. <laughs> or they go off to die by themselves and there's no grieving or they will make like if one of them is dying, that will like kill them. Right, but imagine so, imagine you're an outside observer of the human species. We we lose chemical weapons on one another, yeah. and yet we still have funeral practices. I mean, I know it's, it's interesting. I wonder why certain animals do and certain don't, though. You know, yeah, it's very interesting. To me. Well, getting back to um, humans, yeah. the human realm of grief. There was a man who recently. Um, was married to his wife for 62 years, and uh, she died. And on the way to her funeral, he died in the back of the limousine. Oh, really? And, um, yeah, which I thought was incredibly sweet. And then his his daughters... I, I They died at the funeral. No, no, no. Oh. They, they put a sign up. They decided to just have a double funeral, and uh, they put a sign up at the wake that said, Surprise, it's a double header. And then buried him next to her like that wow. that day. <laughs> well, I guess their family has a good sense of humor at least. But the the point is, is yeah, that is that that's a that's they used a sense of humor to grieve, or else they weren't going through grief. And the point of that whole thing is, is that there's no set way that grief works, which is great because we can say just about anything here and still yeah. be in the right. Exactly. Because psychology is still grappling to define the process of grief. Yeah. And some very recent studies that you found show that grief is not present in everyone. Yeah. And that everyone deals with it very differently. Yeah. And there's not really any specific way to handle it. There's just some great general guidelines. And that we should say grief is a very personal thing. 
Yeah, and I myself have experienced the spectrum of grief in my life, in, like including, you know, like family members passing away, not yeah. to be too cold, but some are, you know, you super grieve for, and some it's like, well, you know, they were very old and they had a great life and we saw this coming. And that's one of the things that, you know, it's one of the types of grief, anticipatory grief, Right. they say is probably easier because you're working that stuff out over time. And it's nothing like an accident or a child dying unanticipated grief. Well, completely different. Yeah, it is. So, so you mentioned anticipatory grief. That's like if somebody's got a prolonged illness or something sure. like that. You have the chance to say goodbye ahead of time, maybe. Deal with these emotions. Exactly. And then once death actually comes, yeah. you've been prepared for this for days, weeks, months, right? Yeah. And a lot of times, some, maybe there isn't any quote-unquote traditional grief going on at all because you're just so prepared. Right. And it's just a matter of executing all the things that you need to do if you're the person that's in charge of that kind of right. stuff. Right. Like you're so prepared, you blow off the funeral to go to the grocery store. I don't know about that, but... <laughs> Um, it might psych- be a serial killer if that's the case. Psychologists uh, call that kind of grief, anticipatory grief, basically the money grief, because it's it's about as um, as light as you can get. Sure. Post grief, post death, yeah. I should say, right? Yes. Um, and that, again, I want to say like there's there's probably a listener out there who like helped their their husband or their mother through a long bout of cancer yeah. that the, the, the person finally succumbed to, that's like, that's absolutely untrue. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like yeah. there, again, there's no specific, um, like no one can tell you what your grief was. Again, it's personal. This is just, exactly. these are very broad strokes. So, okay. <laughs> then like you mentioned, uh, unanticipated grief, right? Yeah. I met that's from my experience. I had a friend that fell off a building and died and wow. that's like. Definitely the hardest. Someone young, an accident, and uh, but still, if you want to talk about five stages, I don't. I'm not a big believer that that's the case because I didn't experience all those stages at all. Mm. Um, but again, it varies. Someone might experience ten stages. It does, but but the point is, with unanticipated grief, like you couldn't have you you or your friend didn't wake up that morning like he was going to die, right? You know, but he still died. Yep, and you have to. F- Deal with it all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, and then there's ambiguous grief, which for my money is probably the worst kind of grief. This is the kind of grief that comes where, say, if you have a loved one who is kidnapped and you never hear from them again. Yeah. I've never felt that one. your parents abandon you as a child. Yeah. Um, or just something happens to somebody and there's no real resolution or closure. Yeah. Or, you know, it doesn't have to be even death. It can be like your girlfriend. You come home with to a note. On your bed, right. and you never hear from her again, or a wife, I guess. Yeah, because I guess we should also say, like, grief doesn't just have to come from death. No, of course not. Grief is basically the um, the the deep and poignant distress caused by bereavement. Yeah, and bereavement is the state of being deprived of something or someone. So yeah, that could be through death, whatever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but yeah, so those are the three types of normal grief, just off the top of our heads. We made those up, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you mentioned the, uh, the different kinds of, um, the, the different stages of grief and you, yeah. I mean, that's just such like a, a pop trope these days. Yeah. The five stages. But it was actually new just as recently as, uh, 1969 when Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross came up with 
the five stages of grief that you always hear about today that any 10-year-old could probably recite to you, but have since been kind of deconstructed and changed and questioned and challenged. But these are kind of the roadmap to go through grief, right? Yeah. Um, Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Right. And denial is just basically saying... This is you're you're not true. They're still alive. Like what, what you say is right. a lie, and I don't want to be anywhere near you because you're lying to me right now about something very horrible. Yeah, I've never experienced that. Even with my friend who fell off a building, like that's as sudden a news as you can get over the phone. And I'm just not the kind of person who's like, no, that didn't happen. I was like, man, it immediately hit me that that had happened. Huh? You know? Yeah. And I started from there, I guess. But I didn't experience anger either. But, you know, if it might have been my brother, I might have experienced anger. You, know? you, you raise a very good point. There's different, there's different, um, I guess, risk factors. There's different elements to grief. Yeah. And some of it is personal. Some of it has to do with how close you are to the person. Sure. Um, some of it has to do with the type of person you are. You're a pretty resilient person. Mm, yeah. if, if you were a very sensitive, bookish type, you might have taken it a little harder. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you have a very, very, very strong, tight support group. You do. Yeah. So um, I would say that, that that probably helped quite a bit. I'm sure you had a yeah. group of friends that like helped you through that. They were probably friends with the kid, too. Yeah, absolutely. So you went through it as a group. Yeah, going through something alone is, is always hard. Even if you think you're a loner and don't want to be around anyone, you're probably not doing yourself any favors. Right. Uh, and then lastly, you had prior experience with grief. You'd thrown yourself down in the doghouse when you were seven. Yeah. So you had that experience to draw upon and, and to know you can make it through it. It does get better. It does go away. Yeah. So uh, you're going to have the hardest normal kind of grief if you are, like you said, a loner with no support group. If this is the first time you've ever experienced grief, if you're the sensitive bookish type, and um, if you were extraordinarily close to somebody. Right. Right? Yeah. Totally. And in fact, I used to do acting exercises in college. I took this acting class. And uh, <laughs> believe it or not, <laughs> I took one acting class. And I was not very good at it. And they he used to tell us to try to do like crying exercises and stuff. So what did you think of? But my brother was always the go-to. Like imagine my brother had gotten killed or something. I would just like, boom, waterworks. so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, your brother. Other family I think I could make myself like, cry <laughs> if I thought of your brother dying. I know he's a beloved he's such guy. Such a good guy. I'm just kidding about the other family members. By the way. <laughs> All right. So uh, anger. That's uh, the second one. Yes, it is. Uh, Pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. Um, bargaining fascinates me. Like the idea totally. that that you feel like you're suddenly in a position to to make a a, a deal with God. Yeah. To reverse the circumstances or bring the person back or take away the pain. Yeah. That's just so crazy. And it's, it's you know, like you think of somebody bargaining with God or some higher power and they're like looking up. Yeah. Talking to the ceiling <laughs> or the sky. Yeah. And that that is one of the normal stages of grief. Yeah. That's, I, I just find that fascinating. I, I, th- I did that when I was young with girls. Oh, yeah. Well, I was heavy into church, very emotional kid, and girls like, you know. It was one of those deals like, God, just please, if you just come back to me, I promise I'll like do this and I'll do that. Yeah. But uh, uh, I'll clean behind my ears. Yeah, I grew out of that pretty quick. Yeah. Because I realized it didn't make any difference. Right. That girl's either coming back or she was hitting the road. Exactly. And uh, God probably had little, if anything, to do with that. That's right. He was dealing with bigger problems. That's right. Um, after that's depression. And this one's kind of tricky. Um, yeah. 
if you if you go through the stage of depression, if you do, it's not necessarily requisite. Right. Um, they're starting to wonder if possibly you're already depressed. Yeah. And uh, if you were already depressed, that probably means you're going to maybe get stuck in this stage for a while. Yeah. Uh, or you might go through a depressed stage and then come out of it. Right. It's not necessarily, but the the problem with this stage is that depression is a recognized mental disorder, and grief is not considered a mental disorder. Right. And yet, in one of these five widely accepted stages, you go through a period where you're you're you have a mental disorder. Yeah. But it's part of a normal process. And, you know, it, that's basically like taking psychologists and throwing them <laughs> into the Thunderdome. Yeah. You know, greasing them up with chicken fat and handing them battle axes <laughs> and saying, like, it, explain that. No, that's the funniest thing said in this podcast. <laughs> uh, the last one is acceptance, of course. Yep. Um, it's when you are finally able to move on. And um, I found that one fairly interesting article where they they charted this. And they said it would look like a W. Yeah, is that right? Like right. the high points and the low points. Yeah, which I guess um, denial is a high point, <laughs> and then it goes down to um, anger. Yeah, up to bargaining. I guess if you feel like that's getting you somewhere, maybe it's an up. Uptick. Maybe, maybe. Um, at the very least, it's manic. I would think. Yeah. Uh, back down to depression, and then finishing the W with a nice bit of acceptance. Yeah, and they've. Um as you said, that we've sort of been studying this for like 30 or 40 years, and there was always that five stages thing. But recently, they're looking more into it. And they've done some studies with widowers and widows, and they found that they really oscillate wildly from day to day. Right. And it's not necessarily going to be a W. It's I felt great today, and really my spirits were up, and I was even laughing. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, they were really sad, and it just really is all over the map. Right. But I think or overall, candy. what they're finding is that on a long enough arc, people right. emerge from it. And it seems to be somewhere on the order of six months to three years. Yeah. Seems to be. And, and I think that's the outliers are maybe six months to three years. That's such a ridiculous time frame. Though. But the, but I mean, like, if you study enough people, you can yeah, probably you can create like a. Make up like three months to five years. Right. You know. No, you, totally. And then say anyone else is an outlier. Right. But that's the thing. Like, you can't. That's why everybody is very wisely. Um, uh, they avoid yeah saying things like that like this is this is uh, like it's almost a about, respect for the process like no one wants to come out and say no this is how it is yeah you know? because you can't and that's a mean thing to do and actually there's there's um the grief is is in, in danger of being medicalized in the DSM-5 one of the proposals there's a there's always been an exemption to bereavement yeah. with depression Right. Like a depression um, diagnosis, if the person has recently gone through uh, the process of grief or uh-huh. is in the process of grief, um, you can't diagnose them with depression. You can, but you're not going to get reimbursed for any meds you prescribe them. Right. Well, under the DSM-5, they're taking away this bereavement exclusion so that doctors can get reimbursed. That's good. Yeah, but it medicalizes grief. It says no, and yeah. now it's a mental disorder. Well, when yeah. it's not supposed to be, and it's, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. You know? A temporary disorder, though. You would hope so. Yeah. All right. Very keen insight. <laughs> nice work. Thank you, Psychology Today. Yeah. Is that where you got it? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so should we talk a little about about dealing with it, I guess? Yes. Um, you know, these are, it's it's good advice, but it's also, anytime I read something where they're like, 
take care of yourself and eat right and exercise. Yeah, avoid drugs and alcohol. Yeah, but it, it is very much true. You know, the, it only is going to make things worse if you wallow in this and abuse yourself with drugs and alcohol and don't eat and you, you don't know, think there's step some, all night. There's not a therapy to pouring like half of a forty out on the curb for someone who's gone hand. and then drinking the other half. Yeah, I mean, sure, but don't do that every day for like weeks and weeks. Right, you know? starting at nine a.m. Yeah, I mean, I think me and my friends got together and got really good and plowed after we got the news about my buddy. Yeah, but but, but Chuck we weren't says in there to every avoid night. alcohol. <laughs> my advice is to avoid it after one time. Yes, but okay, so in addition to avoiding drugs and alcohol, eating right and yeah. getting regular exercise, just the standard stuff. What was that also in jet lag? <laughs> yeah, every time it's Jeez. anything. Um, the the there are like some really good suggestions to dealing with grief. If you find yourself uh, overwhelmed by a profound sense of sadness, yeah. there are things out there that you can do to make yourself feel better. You can um, write a letter to yeah. the deceased. That's uh, said to help. Scrapbooking? Um, yep. Yeah, why not? Uh, throwing yourself into, say, making a memorial, like those roadside memorials. Yeah. Or um, a video clip show. Who knows? Yeah. You, well, actually, you know what? When my friend died, I did a, uh, a video. See, because his family put together a website, mm-hmm. like a memorial website, and I'm the I had video footage back then of him, and I did a little video for the family, but it ended up really being like a great thing for me. It made you feel better, absolutely. Yeah, so basically putting yourself into a project that yeah. where you're thinking about this person. I imagine and this isn't an article. This is just me doing some armchair psychology. Sure. But um, I imagine it forces you to remember good things about the person. Mm-hmm. And so during this time when you're possibly a little more emotionally fragile than usual, yeah. you are being reminded of positive memories, positive things as yeah. well. You know, so you're maybe that's why that would help. But I it think, definitely absolutely. does help, you know, for sure. Because when you're going through and doing like a scrapbook, it's these great memories and these pictures. And it's not, you know, you are remembering the good stuff and the like the life. Right. Which is, I think, how everyone wants to be remembered, you know? Sure. It's like these great alive. lives that we have. Exactly, you know? You want to be remembered as alive. Yeah, I mean, I'm one of those people that always w- wants my funeral to be, you know, a l- little bit more of an upbeat affair, as much as it can be, you know? Whereas some people are like, no, man, I want people really sad. Right, yeah. <laughs> I want to be mourned for days. Yeah. Not me. Yeah. So you want the upbeat affair. Yeah. Okay. Ha- like, have a, have a party and, you know, make fun of me. Okay. But not like Gigi Allen's funeral. <laughs> I have to research that one. I can only imagine what it was like. Yeah. Pretty hardcore? Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Did they inject his corpse with heroin or? No. He's buried naked though and they. Oh, he they, lived they, naked. It was, uh, yeah. You, you can do some research if you feel like Okay. <laughs> Man, he died like in a horrible way. Didn't they find him like murdered in, a, in an alley naked and like never found the murderer? No, I think he killed himself. I thought he was murdered. Or OD'd. I thought he was like stabbed to death. Mm, I don't think so. He okay. used to he used to threaten to kill himself on stage. That was his big thing. Was yeah. that he's like one day it's going to happen. I thought his big thing was like pooping on stage. Well, he did that a lot too. Yeah, he kept that promise. Um, Man, side, was, sidebar on Gigi. Who Allen. knew Gigi <laughs> Allen was going to show up in the grief episode? For real. Uh, another thing you can do <laughs> to. Um, I guess kind of help through the grief process is to throw yourself into a project that you think the deceased might appreciate. Yeah, or some organization they might have been affiliated with. 
Right, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. Like if you lose someone to cancer, maybe get involved with the Cohen Foundation mm-hmm. or one of the other groups. Or apparently MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, was founded yeah. in memory of a, uh, a deceased uh-huh. person. Absolutely. Killed by a drunk driver, one would imagine. Right. Um, it, it, there's just a lot of stuff out there that you can do yourself. A lot of people pretty much immediately go to therapy, at least initially. Yeah. To, to get a little help, to get some in, insight, some yeah. advice, whatever. Um, that's not necessarily the case for everybody, and they, they've definitely found that therapy is not even necessarily helpful for everybody. Right. There's a lot of people out there who probably wonder if they're dead inside because they don't grieve like supposedly everyone else does. But study after study is finding that actually people who go through significant grief um, is a fairly small portion of people who experience a loss. Yeah, didn't we have a study in here? Oh yeah, right here. Yeah. Um they what they do generally is they track groups of widows and widowers for a period of time. Right. And just have them, you know, remark about how they're feeling on a day-to-day basis. And uh this one was for up to 5 years, I think, and between 26 and 65% had no significant symptoms in the initial years after the loss. Yeah. And only 9 to 41% did. And there's a big variability there, but they said it's partially from how the symptoms were measured. So, And in another study, they found that about 21% experienced what you could diagnose as depression uh, after the loss. And right. only about 11% um, had trouble with it, like couldn't shake it after 6 to 18 months, I believe. Right. And 10% of people who lost a spouse felt relief. Uh, these were people that had reported being unhappy in their marriage. <laughs> right. So there's that. Those are the ones that dance on their spouse's grave. <laughs> I guess so. And I don't necessarily think it's that cold, but there there could be some mild relief if you weren't genuinely weren't happy in your marriage. Right. And it doesn't mean you're dancing on graves and partying, but it might just be like, all right, well, now I can go move to Cabo San Lucas like I'd always wanted to. <laughs> and hang out with Sammy Hagar. <laughs> but my wife hates the ocean. Yeah. And now I can do that. Right. And my wife also hated Sammy Hagar, but I'm going to go hang out with him. (laughs) Yeah. They also think that men may grieve heavier, even though it's long believed that women do. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think a study like that is sort of silly. It's so variable, like from person to person. I don't know. Right. But we say all this to point out that if you don't experience what other people would recognize as grief, there's nothing wrong with you any more than there is. If you experience grief. Exactly. What psychiatry and psychology have started to pay a little more attention to is what's been termed complicated grief. Yeah, And that is technically, if you go, say, several months to where your life is really, really interrupted, you can't sleep, you can't eat, you're having trouble focusing on anything but the, the death of this person, the loss of them. Yeah, you start to seriously doubt things very important in your life, maybe like religion even. Right. Like Um, I've lost a child, like there can't be a God, that kind of stuff. Right. Or conversely, if you can't even mention the person's name or hear the person's name. Basically, if your life is disrupted for many months, then basically everybody from the Mayo Clinic to the APA says, maybe you should go see somebody about this. Yeah, because it can also manifest itself in aggression and... um, Violence, uh, self-destructive, um, physical self-destruction. Yeah. So it can complicate it as, as an understatement here for this kind of grief, I think. Right. Um, so 
there's different kinds. If you go see a counselor with what's considered normal grief, they're probably going to help you let go of the person while still honoring their memory and, and recognizing them and, yeah. and, and the impact that they had on your life, but to get out there and live your own life. They're going to try to reach the same goal if you have complicated grief, but they're going to do it a different way, and they're probably going to encourage you to really form an even greater bond yeah. with the person now that they're deceased that you can nurture and hold on to and carry around with you. That makes sense to me Yeah, and in this kind of, in this case. It's not like you can't uh, tell a parent who has lost a child, like, and, you know, you need to work through this and get over it. Right, and you that's know? actually one of the risk factors for complicated grief, grief is the death of a child. Right. Uh, the death of somebody that you are possibly codependent on. Right. And very, very close to. Sure. Or um, the death of a sudden death, usually from trauma, say like a murder, right, or something like that. Right. Um, those are risk factors for complicated grief. So uh, I would imagine that if you if you had a loved one who was murdered, you probably are already getting some sort of professional attention. And if you're not, maybe you should. Well, yeah, and that what we were basically talking about was the difference between grief and trauma. And when you've experienced it to that degree, trauma is a whole different deal. Uh, they'd say it feels unreal mm-hmm. and it's, uh, can be terrifying. Terror is the most common emotion. Um, it's common if you have dreams about a deceased loved one, but if you're having traumatizing dreams about yourself being in danger, yeah. then you've, you've crossed the line from grief into trauma and complicated grief. Yeah. Heavy stuff. It is very heavy. Uh, losing a pet is for some people a very, very, very big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and other people, well, people that aren't into pets at all don't get it. And then some people that do have pets are just more equipped to deal with the loss of a pet and not like it's a loss of a human. Yeah. But for people like me and Jerry over there, I know that losing a pet, you know, is like equivalent to losing, you know, a family member. Mm-hmm. And the grieving process is about the same, I would imagine, if it's, you know, that impactful. And my advice is you should talk to other people who have similar feelings, because one of the things that can be toughest about losing a pet is when you talk to people who don't have pets and don't think it's that big of a deal right. to lose a pet, and right. that, that can make things a lot worse. Well, they say that if you um, if you do experience the loss of a pet and you f- find that you're grieving over it, you should go ahead with the grief. Yeah. Don't feel embarrassed or dumb for that. Of course not. Go lie down in the doghouse and cry. Right. <laughs> like a six-year-old. Yeah. Uh, you got anything else? Uh, I ran across one thing. Um, there was a guy in 1983 named Paul Rosenblatt who um, carried out a study of, I think, like 56 Victorian diaries of people who had experienced loss. Oh, interesting. And um, so grief is definitely cultural and also historically bound, too. Huh. Like um, they found, he found that the the goal for these diarists was to keep the person alive around them right like all the time like they would try to sense the person around them or you know, like maybe sit in their favorite chair because they could tell that they were still there in some way right. or whatever and that under those circumstances he found that grief never really seemed to ever go away huh. that it was something that they carried around for the rest of their lives and in fact um one of the things that the victorians did was they would wear black for a year, I believe. Yeah. And then dark colors after that, especially if you were a widow. And the, on the anniversary, you wear black too, right? I think so. Yeah. And you were expected to carry around 
this grief yeah. for the rest of your life. Um, and one of the things they also did that actually is still around today was bereavement photography, which is post-mortem photography. Yeah, we've done a thing on that. I th- have we? Yeah. Um, and it's we did, didn't we? Yeah. And we got an email just as recently as today from a woman who lost a child um, and had a cast made of the baby's hands and feet. Really? And she said that it was something that um, has very much helped her through. I didn't read that one yet. Yeah, she said it was a gift from the hospital um, to help them through their grief. And the the hospital said, you know, you might not want it now, but we really encourage you to have this done. And we'll pay for it um, because, you know, years from now, you may really be happy that you have it. She said they're absolutely right. Wow, that's really great. Yeah. What was that email in reference to? Death masks? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. But it just happened to come in today when we were researching grief. Wow. Yeah. That's about it, I guess, huh? Yeah. That's boy. it. That's A to Z grief. We <laughs> we touched on every single thing possible. What a downer. Um, Yeah. I guess if you want to learn more about grief, you can type that word into the search bar, HowStuffWorks.com. Remember, I before E except after C. Um, Chuck, hold on. Let's, uh, let's take a message break, huh? It is time for listener mail. So, Josh, you can, by the way, to jump back, look into more grief on our website, uh-huh. or you could go to Google and look at uh, pygmy goats. That helps, too. <laughs> That's what I would say. All right. So now, uh, not listener mail, Josh. Today, we have Administrative Details. Nice, Chuck. Well done. All right, so we're going to, this is going to be an ongoing thing, because as usual, they stack up. Well, man, we have very busy work schedules. And we like to say thanks to as many people as possible. For those of you that don't know, Administrative Details is a segment that replaces listener mail in which we read out thank yous to fans who have sent us stuff, tokens. Yeah, anything. Yep. Um, For example, a postcard of Rapa Nui from Ryan Confer. Thank you for that. Nice. That's uh, all, that's Easter Island. Okay. Um, Jacob Ward uh, sent us Yellowstone Park uh, shirts, postcards, info cards, hats. Oh yeah, because he works there. Yeah, that was a pretty sweet gift. And he gets a discount. Okay, I hope he, I hope he does. Um, thanks to Shanti Diva for the postcard of the monkey knots. Casey Herring sent us cookies, and they were delicious. Yeah. Which cookies? The, the delicious one. Okay. <laughs> Not those crappy ones. Um, we got a wedding invitation from Rachel and John Reed. Oh, yeah? Congratulations. I'm surprised no one's asked us to officiate. <laughs> I'd do that. Oh, man, you just opened the, <laughs> the floodgates. Um, hitch safe. Inventor Tim Freeman sent us a hitch safe. And that is a little thing that you stick in your trailer hitch if you have a truck, pickup truck, and it's got a little key and this hollowed out and you can, like, Put your wallet and stuff in there if you go uh, kayaking and lock it up. I didn't see this. Well, because you don't have a pickup truck. Oh, okay. If you get a trailer hitch, buddy, you can. we'll split the hitch. Okay, safe. we'll Half we'll a share. year. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. We got a Christmas card and postcards, uh, plural, from Becca Evans at uh, UCSC. All right. Uh, Justin Norman um, sent us an Ergo desk and iPad holder. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually using the one for the laptop on my desk. It's quite lovely. And it's handmade wood, and you can find that at woodfold.com. Yeah, that's really a sight to behold. Yeah. It's amazing. It, it looks really like is. plastic. <laughs> right? But it's wood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we got a Christmas postcard from uh, Davini B., who uh, for some reason was dressed as Wilfred from the TV show Wilfred. So thank you, Davini. 
Uh, Lori and Leonard sent us some yummy chocolates from Thickets in Marshfield, Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. it was lovely. Um, we got a copy of the book Brushing the Teeth of Elvis's Monkey and a nice letter from Nurse Beth, so thank you for that. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and bust through my books here. Um, we got How, colon, Why How We Do Anything Means Everything by Dov Seedman. Uh, we got Swing, colon, mm-hmm. The Search of My Father, Louis Prima, nice. by Alan Gerstel. Uh, Science Nearly Explained by Dick Maxwell. Yeah. And that is uh, on Amazon and Kindle. Uh, the Vampire Combat Manual from our buddy Roger Ma, Woo-hoo. who sent us the zombie combat manual. Yeah. And I imagine pretty soon we're going to have a werewolf combat manual. I would hope so. Unless Roger's getting lazy. And uh, <laughs> Trunkless, which is a children's book from Sean Antoniak and Matthew Antoniak. That was sweet. That was like a graphic novel. Yeah, and they sent us some cool stickers from... Uh, uh, 811graphics.com. Yeah. So those are my books. Nice. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, we got another postcard from Rapa Nui from Emily B. That rhymes. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we got Trifold Wallets from Trifold. Trihold. From Trifold Wallets. <laughs> nice, man. Yeah. Uh, you should get paid for this. <laughs> There's a dude named Lars C. who kind of went all over the place. Uh, he went to Los Cobos. Los Cabos, of course, Sammy Hagar's place. <laughs> Seattle, Philadelphia, Calgary, Montreal, Nova Scotia. And he kind of took us with him and sent us postcards along the way. So thanks a lot, Lars. Uh, Aaron Cooper, thank you for your cool foam core poster versions of some of your best stuff you should know Photoshop jobs. Yes. You love these. That's not the first time they sent those either. So no, thanks no. a lot, Aaron. It's a regular coop. Um, we got a nice postogram from Michael Storer. Carolyn Larson sent us <laughs> magnetic skulls. Yeah, those are awesome. They like are a Day cool. of the Dead skulls yeah. of her own art, I believe. I think so. Um, I've got her down, too, and I have her website. It is, um, I believe, carolynlarsonart.com. If I come across it, I'll correct myself if that's wrong. But I'm pretty sure that's right. Okay. i got one more for now. Okay. And then you pick one more good one. And then we'll pick this up again. Jennifer Dunaway sent us a knitted tree scarf. And this is just a scarf that you go and you pick a tree and you put a little scarf on it. <laughs> okay. And it's pretty darn cute and it makes the city more beautiful. Nice. So thank you, Jennifer Dunaway, for that. Um, and then uh, I got a nice handmade birthday card for me specifically. Nice. From uh, SYSK Army member Courtney Hoover. So thanks a lot for that, Courtney. Uh, and that's administrative details for this week. Part one. Uh, a- as far as this list goes, we've got this for the next six months. <laughs> and I am right. It is Carolyn Larson Art. C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E-L-A-R-S-E-N-Art.com. Yeah, get a tree scarf. Yeah. That's what I say. And a skull magnet. All right. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. If you want to uh, tweet to us, you can join us on Twitter at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. And you can send us a good old-fashioned website visit to StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.